Good morning. I almost forgot there was no video this morning, and I went, who's in charge here? So, hey, if it's your first time, thank you for being here. My name is Nathan, and uh, I, I, you'll hear more about this in a little bit. I, um, I get the privilege to be a pastor of a church that is really about what we've talked about over and over, connecting with Jesus, connecting with people, and connecting people with Jesus. And um, so I want to I do something different today, but I want to tell you about something that happened yesterday first. I, <clears throat> you know how sometimes you feel like a cold is coming on, and you think, I'm fine. I'll battle through it. So I got on the treadmill yesterday morning, and I got off, and I went, that was a really bad idea. And, and I thought, well, I should call somebody, and maybe they could, they could get up there tomorrow. The problem is when I call people on Saturday, nobody answers me. And if I try to call on Sunday morning, really nobody's answering me. And so, uh, honestly, I really am thrilled to be here because I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, every single week, uh, I, at least personally I aim, some weeks this goes better than others, to just have us chew on one primary passage of Scripture because I truly believe that the riches and nourishment of God's Word are inexhaustible. Absolutely inexhaustible. But I like for us to try to have a takeaway each week, and uh, this morning's different from that uh, for two reasons. It's the last Sunday of the year, and I, I really truly believe, and it's been on my heart, that this would be a point where we stop and we reflect and we look back a little bit. I mean, I even I look back over the year, and uh, it'll be a year ago this next week that at least officially, became pastor. I became pastor here. And we have walked through quite a bit. And, um, and so let me just take like a couple minutes here to walk back what we walked through um, from, a, from a sermon standpoint as, as we've gathered in this room. And then I want to, uh, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do next, all right? So we began the year, and really it was it was an opportunity to just look at who we are. And, and we talked about being, we are West Bowles. And we looked at this mission of connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus. And we looked at that, and we also looked at, and you'll see it up on the, on the screen here in a moment, but we also uh, talked about the values that we have that support that. Values like the word of Jesus has full authority for us if we are followers of Jesus. That cultivating this abiding connection, fruitful connection with him, is crucial. We also talked about how we live in community with one another. We, we actually live for, it's not just right here, it's not just vertical, it's with those to my left and right. We talked about how there is a value that God has placed in every single human, and part of that is he's given a divine gift for every single person that comes through these doors. And when we get to know Jesus, we, be, we get to know what that gift is. We talked about walking with people. We talked about just this opportunity to go to all the nations. And we talked about our missions here at the church. Well, from there, we moved into this idea of God's heart for the lost. We looked at the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And through all of that, we're reminded that God God has this heart for the lost. As much as they think he's mad at them, he says, no, I want to win them. Around Easter, we looked at the idea of a king, that Jesus was this king that didn't look anything like what the people expected when he showed up here on earth. 
but why do we worship that king? And we looked at that. We talked about how once we've submitted to this king, that, that means something for today. And we do today a different way, don't we? And then we took part of the summer to just refuel and to rest and try to relax and try to replenish before we jumped into a school year. And then a few months ago, we, we briefly talked about this, this kind of under, underlying theme for this next, you know, all the way through May. This idea that to, to follow Jesus is truly to live by faith and not by sight. And so I did something I will never do again. And uh, even though I'm tempted to sometimes, showed this video of these snakes chasing this uh, iguana. And uh, my mom, I mean, I don't even live with my parents. Like, I have a wife and three kids. And she tried to ground me after I showed that video. And so... Uh, it was interesting. Many from the older generation said, don't you ever do that again. And all the younger generations said, can we just show that every week? And so um, thank you for your grace upon me with that. But we talked about what does living by faith, not by sight, look like? And we're talking about that as we go through the year. We talked about when it comes to the church, it's really a leap of faith. Because there are many in this room that as you think about growing up, there's baggage. And it really is a serious leap to jump into the church. Some, maybe it's the first time, and it's so unfamiliar that that's a leap of faith. But we asked everyone, would you, would you consider one step further? And it may feel like a leap, but one step further into involvement in the church. From there, we talked about what does living by faith look like when the circumstances look, don't look so great, and looked at a letter written by a man named Paul who was imprisoned when he wrote it. And we... we refer to it so often, but what does faith look like when it's behind bars, when it's imprisoned, when it's closed in? And then we came into Christmas, and we talked about what does is, what is living by faith look like during a time of year when we're really, really focused on stuff and meals and deals and ideals, and we'll be continuing that broader theme as we move forward into 2020. But the other thing I wanted to do this morning was just take a moment to share what it's been like through Nathan's eyes. And I want to share some observations. And I want to share some, uh, some things that God has shown me this past year. And uh, it being New Year's Eve and a couple of days here, I thought it might, it might just be best to frame this as a countdown, okay? And so I've got 10 things for us that I really believe God has put on my heart that I would like to share with West Bowles. Now, number 10. Number 10 is this, and this is just a personal lesson. The most terrifying three minutes of the week for me are, are 1022 to 1025 or whatever the three minutes are before I get up here. Okay? Now, let me, let me explain what this is like. A few years ago, we went to Waterworld. Everybody been to Waterworld? Know of Waterworld? You got to go sometime. All right, yes. I mean, I've been trying to, like, for baptisms. I, one of my first ideas when I became pastor was, let's get a water slide into the... We'll be baptiz baptizing hundreds of people every single week if we could. But we go to Waterworld a couple years ago, and True at the time, she's our, she's our middle child, and uh, the youngest of our daughters, and she was heading into first grade at the time. But we were on this, we were in line to go on this ride, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Now, it's a fun ride, but if you've never been on it before, it's the first time you've been tall enough to go on, like, an older people's ride, is what she called it. That was basically outside Kittyland there. Um, 
it's a little nerve-wracking. And so we're standing in line, and you know, you're just, you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And as loud as it was, I kept hearing something out of the corner, just, just off to the side, and it was just this, and I thought that was me, actually, at first, but I realized, poor True, she was like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, and you know, I, I tried to like hug her, Carol's like, you're going, I was like, all right, is that to me or to her, but that's pretty much what the three minutes before I get up here is like every single week, and so during offering, if you ever hear, it's because I turned my mic on too soon, okay, <laughs> uh, I say all that to say, I would covet your prayers, not just in three minutes before the message, but uh, throughout the week, because there is something simultaneously terrifying and awesome when God illuminates his word, and there is a moment that's just like, I've got to share that, and there's something really interesting that happens in the walk from right there, and the reason I sit right there is because I don't want anybody to see that state that I'm in right here. And, and I can stare at, usually we have the cross up on the side over here. I can stare at the cross and go, okay, it's going to be okay. But God does something in the journey from that seat up to here. And I think it's something he does in all of our lives. He makes us willing to step into the things that he calls us to. And so, I say all that to say, I would love your prayers, all right? Number nine. Actually, you can pray for intestinal fortitude more than anything, all right? Number nine, tension, tension is not God's inattention. It's an invitation. And I say that because as I think about this past year, I'm amazed at how many moments come up in my own life and how many moments come up in the lives of the people in this church and those that I get to walk with. That as they look around, there's this thing in us that wants to get out of the tension because we're much, we like comfort. And yet, I believe God does some of his best work in the tension of life. You want to know how I know that? Because the first time I actually connected with Scripture, things were not great. I had been dumped. I know it's hard to believe. I got dumped in high school. I always thought I was the dumper, not the dump E, but yes, I was on the heels of this breakup that I thought was just everything as a sophomore in high school. And it was just in the heartbrokenness of a Friday night. All my friends were hanging out, and I went, I just don't feel like it. And I opened the word, and even then, God began to speak, and he began to use his word and my life. And, and the reason I bring this up is because that oftentimes when you think about the situations and the circumstances under which the Bible, God brought us scripture through the authors that he brought it to us, things were not great most of the time. They were never the world's superpower. Things were never all that great. They were often in captivity or exile or prison. Now, doesn't that sound like something we could relate to as we think about life? Because his whole movement there is there is a glorious inner strength that he can give us that nothing in this world can give us. And you begin connecting with that when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And so tension is anything but God's inattention to you and your life or me and my life. It's an invitation to engage with him.
Number eight, ministry. Ministry is not something that we go and do. It's something that we do as we go. Ministry is not something that, it, you know, I, I come on Sunday and then I have this assignment that I almost like a robot go out Monday through Saturday and do. This is something that we do as we go. And, and the reason I distinguish that is because one of those says, one of those creates an attitude, I believe, inside of us that we point at other people and say, you're a sinner who needs God's grace. But when ministry is something that we do as we go, we're reminded I'm a sinner who has received God's grace. And it cultivates our heart for those that we walk with, whether it's at work, school, practice, wherever we're at. It's something that we do as we go, and there is a we to it. There's a we. There's a reason that this is West Bull's community church. Number seven, the church is healthier the church is healthier when it functions as a body, not as a few people. You want to know one of my favorite things I've seen over the past year are all the different faces, and I'm just talking about service right now, all the different faces that you've seen up here that pray for offering, that do communion, that get up and share from God's word. That's just in service. That's not to mention the different groups that are here that are gathering the workday that we did in the fall, the events that are put together to bring us together as a body. There's something truly incredible. And so I say all that to say, you might get asked. You might get asked. And there is something really, really special about having a part and playing a part in the life of the body. Number six, it is no secret that we have a diverse a diverse group of generations here in the church. And so I, I want to talk to both the older generations and the younger generations in the room, but to the older generations. And if you find yourself asking, am I in the older generations? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the older generations, invest in the younger ones even when you don't understand them. I have news for you, you will not understand them. I mean, right now, I'm even, I don't consider myself in the older generations yet, right? I'm coming up on 40 this next year. I'll be 40 years of age. But I look at my daughter, one of our daughters and her friends, and there's this social media app called TikTok, okay? And you know somebody knows TikTok because when you go out to eat, when you come to church, when you go anywhere, here's what you see. And it's just dancing constantly. We had, they were on a soccer team that played out on the field out here. Pre-game warm-ups. You think you're dribbling. You think you're kicking. You think you're passing. Nope, they're all up. I mean, I don't get it. I do not get it. But more than that, it reminds me of actually a first year of marriage. Kara came home one day, and she's like, Honey, let's bleach your hair. And I was like, Okay, let's do that. That sounds great. So we bleached my hair, and I looked like Slim Shady. I looked like Eminem, the rapper in his early days. Like bleached hair, white t-shirt, blue jeans, uh, nowhere near the rap skill whatsoever. I didn't realize that next week we were going, her, her grandparents couldn't come to the wedding out here. And so we went out to this small town in Nebraska the next week. 
And it suddenly dawned on me like halfway down the highway, like, like three hours into this trip, oh my gosh, their first impression of me is an M&M lookalike. <laughs> so I get there, and I will never forget her grandma's first eight words to me. Hi, why did you do that to your hair? And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a terrible first impression. And her grandpa, he was very quiet, and he just kind of looked at me. But what I will always remember, that I'll never forget, is that within about a half an hour, Kara's grandma invited me to just go sit on the back porch with her. And we talked about, like, blue jays that were flying around for a little bit. And then she started to tell me about her granddaughter. And that if her granddaughter said yes to me, then even, even with the bleached hair... There must be something that she saw in me. And I thought, wow, there's somebody who took an interest. They were somehow able to clear the barrier of this bleached hair. And I think about all the different people older than me that have poured into me. And I realize that the effect in the fruit of their lives is that in, in honor of Christ, you know what they did? They knelt down so that I could stand on their shoulders. I think about Dave Beatty, and I'm bringing him up because he's out of town, and it's just easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> One of the first paychecks I ever received, I was a janitor. I was a janitor here at this church almost 24 years ago. My, my region that I was in charge of was the foyer out here and the men's and women's bathrooms. And I remember the first two weeks I did it, I thought, ah, I got this. Let's see how fast I can do it. And Dave, Dave came along beside me, put his arm around me, and he said, so that's not how we do it. And I'm grateful for that because he showed me, he showed me what washing feet really means. That when you do it, you do that, you do that work for truly an audience of one. I remember people like Dave and Bob McPherson, who this church, in being part of this youth group, was the first place because of them. God used them to show me that a relationship with Jesus does not stay right here, that it translates into something out here. And, and, and they collectively created a space for that to happen and helped us understand the connection between a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with others. I remember people like Todd Lanting, who was a pastor here at the church. He was the first one who said, Nathan, you want to preach? And I said, yes, and, and uh, for like eight days, I could have been sitting there going, ah, but he gave me an opportunity, and then he gave me another opportunity, and he gave me another opportunity, and he kept giving me opportunities. People like Anna Cabrera, who's part of the best years yet here. My sophomore year in high school, I'd gotten to share a devotion, and, and this building wasn't built yet. We were in the chapel next door. And Monday morning, I get this note from the office. Anna Cabrera worked as an administrator at Columbine High School in the office, and she used her administrative powers to summon this sophomore out of Spanish class who, who was a rule follower and terrified he was in trouble, and I'm being called to the office. And if you've ever been in Columbine High School, the halls are long, and that is a long walk. And all the way down, I went, <laughs> and I got there. 
And she said, well done. Keep going. It was the first encouragement I ever got at this church. People like George Kirsten. George Kirsten, the founding pastor of this church, you know what he did a year ago? When I officially became pastor here, he sent me a letter that I will never, ever get rid of. I will hold on to it. And you know what he said? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Make it about the gospel and God, God will sustain it with everything he has. It is all about the gospel, the cross, the cross, the cross. Because he poured into me. There was the anonymous person that I still to this day don't know who they are. Dave Beatty called me into his office one day. He said, Nathan, I can't tell you who. It's somebody who is a few decades older than you. They want to send you to seminary. All expenses paid. And I still, I still to this day don't know who that is, but I'll take it as coming straight from the hand of God because it is a deep well to draw from. People like Mike Shane. Mike Shane, who to this day is still a listening ear for me. I mean, in seminary, when I wanted to quit, he was, he was this stabilizing hand who just said, hang in there. You're okay. And he walked with me, and he walked with me, and he walked with me, and he continues to walk with me and walk with me and walk with me. I think about a group of elders, past and present, who I see behind the scenes just how much they love this place and the sacrifices they make for this place, but the time that they'll, they'll spend with me as well. I think about a father and mother-in-law who, when, when we're thinking about all things church, they're thinking about, like, all the, all the stuff that is so easy for us to forget about. Like, are you getting family time? Can we bring you a meal? Can we make you a meal? Dana, who one of the first few times that I got up to preach a lesson, I told him what I was thinking. He kind of went, okay, well, this is going to be interesting, but he shepherded me through that. And I think about people like my mom and dad, who man, through the years, the encouragement, the sacrifices. I mean, I've, tried, I've wanted to do like 20 different things in my life, and every time they were like, you can do it, you got it. But when it came to this, they were on their knees in prayer. It was a different level of investment. So you know what happens when you invest in the younger generation, not trying to understand their musical preferences, their style, what they're walking, because truth is they're walking through life situations that many of the older generations in here, you've never had to walk through. And we'll talk about the flip side of that in just a minute. But what they really need is understanding because they're trying to figure out how to navigate friends who are dealing with things that were not even terms decades ago who are dealing with things like, like gender identity, or is Jesus the way? I mean, it, they're often referred to now out there as nuns and duns, those who have never been in the church and those who are done with the church. We tried it, and there was baggage, and I'm done. And they need, they need people who, even if they don't understand them, will invest in them. There's a man uh, right down the road from here at Light of the World Catholic Church. His name's Joe Gamarano. 
Joe. It's part of a seminary assignment. I went and interviewed him. He got the food bank going over at Light of the World that we partner with and we send food down to. But Joe, I was interviewing him, and he, he was at the time 94 years old. 94 years old. And I, I just, small talk, I said, what do, you, what do you have going? What irons do you have in the fire? He said, well, you know, I've done the food bank the last seven years, which means he started it when he was 87 years old. Done this food bank, but now I'm thinking about, I think I'm going to do life coaching. It's part of my five-year plan. And I was like, okay, you're 94 and you have a five-year plan, I don't even know what I'm eating for lunch today. And you've got a five-year plan. But it was this heart inside him that said, I need to invest into those coming behind me. Because truth be told, the younger generations, we talk about them and think about them as the future of the church. They are the church right now. Right now. As in all of us collectively need to be pouring every resource we've got into them. Now, to the younger generations, I want to say this. Honor the older generations, even if you're not on the same page. Honor the older generations, even if you're not on the same page. I mean, I just, I think back to this time, I was nine or ten years old, we were at my aunt's house in Denver, and they had somebody else over at the same time, older guy, his name was Pat Haggerty. Okay, now Pat Haggerty, um, I didn't think anything of him when he came through the door. As we were talking, I found out he was an NFL referee for 28 years. 28 years. And I've always thought the two worst jobs in the world would be President of the United States and a referee at a sports game. Because any given time, you've got half the crowd really happy with you, and then within, within seconds, they can turn on you. They can absolutely turn on you. And I didn't think much at the time, but he gave me this autographed card. They actually had the sports card for referees at the time, and he autographed it and gave it to me. And I went home, and I already had autographed cards from people like Michael Adams, who played for the Nuggets, Bill Hanslick, Alex English, Broncos, Dennis Smith, Carl Mecklenburg. I've got all these autographed cards, and then I've got Pat Haggerty, NFL referee. And so I always took care of, of the cards that were signed by these athletes. And it was just a matter of months ago. I was going through some old stuff, and I pulled out Pat Haggerty's autographed card. And it's interesting how when you go through enough life, suddenly you get, you get it a little bit more deeply. And I thought about this NFL referee who weekly would get shouted at. And, and we're talking an entire crowd booing. And I went, okay, this guy gets peer pressure. He definitely gets peer pressure, more than any of us could. And as I pulled out his card, you know what I did? I mean, the other, the other autographed cards I had in like these hard protectors from when I was a kid, but I had one like mega protector that you'd like, it was two thick pieces of plastic, and you would like screw them together to keep anything from happening to the card. I put his card in there. I put it in a place where it was valued because you know why? Younger generations, when you honor the older ones, when you put them in a place of value, when they kneel and you get to stand on their shoulders, you stand a lot higher. And you stand in a much more valuable spot than you would have otherwise. I mean, think about it. 
There are people in this room and in this congregation, they are war heroes. They are veterans. They are people who have seen hard times, unlike hard times that we've seen. And it's because of them that we get the freedom to voice our agreement, our disagreement, but we stand on their shoulders, and that's especially true in a spiritual sense. Honor the older generations, even if you're not on the same page. Because you know what I believe Jesus wants for his body? If he's the head of the body, it's not division, it's not disunity. He wants mutual submission. The older ones are investing into the younger, and the younger ones are honoring the older. That's number five. Number four. It's easy to do this. We overestimate the short term and we underestimate the long term. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many times through the years when Kara and I looked at the church and we looked at it and we kind of turned our heads sideways like, well, this isn't what I'd prefer and this isn't necessarily what I like or it doesn't always resonate. I can't tell you how many times we sat there and wondered, should we go? Should we go? More of those times than I'd really even be willing to admit. Do we go? Because there was this short-term picture in our minds. And so one of the prayers that I find myself praying continually over and over and over that I believe God has used to sustain in the long term is this. God, let me see as you see so I can do as you say. God, help us see as you see so that we can do as you say. And he has answered. He has answered every single time. And I cringe, I cringe, I cringe at the thought that we might have jumped out because of the short-term picture, because of what we saw in front of our faces in the moment when in reality God's timeline is much, much broader and much, much grander. And honestly, we're going to get into this starting next month as we talk about the time we've been given. But his timeline is much broader than any of us can understand. I remember in high school feeling like that four years was everything. Now, at almost 40 years of age, I'm like, oh, that flew. And four years of my life at age 16 was 25% of my life. But at age 40, it's now 10% of my life. And you begin to get perspective as time goes on. Number three. There, well, there are two sayings from seminary that I remember. One was that the voice of the Holy Spirit often sounds like your spouse. To that I say, amen. <laughs> and to the men in here, you know what I say? We all married up, okay? We all married up. Because when the Holy Spirit uses your spouse, there is something incredibly powerful about it. But the other saying I remember from seminary, they said, if you want to survive and you want to sustain and you want to thrive, you pray for a soft heart and thick skin. You pray for a soft heart and thick skin. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we say these prayers like God bring people to the church. And it's interesting who often comes through the doors of the church. It's very broken people. Because who did Jesus go to? Broken people. And honestly, if we all looked in the mirror and had some honest moments, we could all see brokenness in us. We've all had those areas and have those areas. And so it's a reminder that those who come through the door, their expressions of hurt may not feel good for us, and it takes thick skin. 
but it also takes a very soft heart. It takes the heart of God. In fact, the only way, the only, the only way you arrive in that place is for the Holy Spirit to do it. To have somebody tell you that they don't like you, to have somebody disagree with you, to have somebody be hard to, toward you, it takes a lot to be able to get that. And I believe that's not just a prayer for pastors. That's a prayer for the church. Because one of the things that the church is in, most in need of today is empathy. And I don't just mean this church. I mean the church worldwide. Empathy says, I'm not going to hold your worst expression of your hurt against you. Because I understand you're hurting. Number two. Thank you. Um, I, uh, a year ago, <laughs> was terrified. Um, but there's a lot of love in my heart for this body of people. And I, um, I still can't quite put this last year into words, but I have a very wise friend who told me a while back, leaders often think they're going to shape the church. The truth is God shapes the leaders with the church. And I've experienced the blessing of that this past year. There has been such a sweet spirit that I have, I have gotten from every single person. There's nothing I love more than being up here, but then getting to go in the foyer and say hi to everybody afterward it means so much to see people here and to see the church getting healthier and healthier and healthier even even people who complain like i get complaints and i'm fine oftentimes if people lodge a complaint i sit there and i think man yeah they're right <laughs> they're right and i love them i love them there's a lot of heart, a lot of love in this hurt in the <laughs> yeah there's a lot of love in this heart for every single person here. And number one, I'm reminded, it's his church. It is his church that he died for. He sent a son to die for, which means there is, if for as much love as I feel in my heart, there is infinitely more love in his heart for his church and every single person in here and that he's going to bring here. Every single person. That means with all of our preparation, with all of our planning, even with all of our prayer, he has full permission to set off and allow a fire alarm at Christmas Eve. <laughs> even when we're about to sing Silent Night. If you weren't here last week, that was an adventure. And, you know, I, I went outside and thought, man, all I wanted as a kid was a fire engine for Christmas. And there it is. <laughs> like a live one. If you missed it, the 2 p.m. service ended much differently than we planned for, but that's okay. It's his church, which means we can all, we can all exhale. And we, all, we can all go, you are sovereign, and, and you are in control, and you do love your church. And so with that in mind, those were 10 takeaways for me this year. And I thought maybe there's no better way to finish this year 
than with communion. And today I want to do it a little bit differently than we normally do it. I want this to be a time between you and him. Next week we'll be doing communion the way we normally do it, where we pass it out and we all take it together. But today, today there are tables around the room. I'd invite you at any point during these closing two songs, at any point during those, to go to a table and take communion and reflect. And here's why. There's this story in Luke 24. Uh, Jesus has risen from the grave. And these women go and they, they see he's not there. And they go tell the disciples. And you know what the disciples did? They doubted. They doubted. And there are a couple disciples that are on their way to this town called Emmaus. And on the way, it's really interesting to watch where these guys are at. Because these are guys who doubted. And you just see this little line in there, and Jesus walked with them. And they didn't recognize it, but he walked with them. And then they used words like we had hoped, and that's the language of disappointment. And so on top of the doubt, there was disappointment, and he walked with them. And they forgot all the scripture that God gave us to encourage us and lift us up, and his, the Spirit of God wants to use the Word of God to point us at the Son of God. And they forgot about all of it, and Jesus, still not revealing who he was, reminds them of the scripture and he walked with them. And they get to this house because it's getting late. And they're around the table. And let me just read. Let me just read this out of Luke 24. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then their eyes were opened and he recognized him. Later they would say, Oh my goodness, he was with us the whole time. Were not our hearts burning as he walked along with us? So during these next two songs, I would invite you. If you want to take communion right there at the table, you can. If you want to go back to your seat and take it, or if you want to wait till the two songs are over to take it, you can. But take it on your own and reflect. Reflect on this last year. Maybe reflect across all of your years. And ask him to show you where he was there walking all along. And then remember what he did for all of us at the cross, the gospel. Let me pray and we'll, close, and we'll take communion. Heavenly Father, it's been an incredible, incredible year personally. And we know, we know that none of it happens without you. You initiating it, you sustaining it, and you furthering the gospel. And so write that on our hearts as we reflect back on the year, on our lives, at how you've walked with us. Reveal moments that we wondered, maybe we wondered where you were. Reveal that you were right there and where you were at. But more than that, we're along with that. Remind us of just what you did for us when you went to the cross and then rose from the grave. We pray all this in Jesus' name.